Welcome to the Beards and Bible Podcast, a podcast that brings together a love for good beer and Bible discussion. You can find us on Instagram at Beers and Bible underscore and on Twitter at Beers and Bible P1. You can also email us at Beers and Bible Podcast at gmail.com. If you enjoy what you hear on Beers and Bible, please consider leaving a five star rating and review on your podcast platform to help us promote this podcast. In the words of the reformer Martin Luther, Whoever drinks beer, he is quick to sleep. Whoever sleeps long does not sin. Whoever does not sin enters heaven. Thus let us drink beer. So let's join our hosts Rick and Patrick for this week's discussion. Welcome to episode number 46 of the Beers and Bible Podcast. I am Patrick. And I am Rick. And we are happy to be in your ear canals. Yeah, we are. We are... What are we doing? Um, we're doing episode 46. Yes, that's it. Yeah. We're mm-hmm. almost done with Packer. Yes, we're almost done with Packer. We've got a new beer to try. We'll introduce that here in a second. Um, but yeah, I'm a little, dis- a I- I'm a little discombobulated because my wife is at home tonight. Um, that always makes for fun times. And so, you know, I had, had our son taking care of him, getting feeding him dinner. We went for a walk, uh, put him to bed and then jumped on here and. We're taking t- taking care of this, so uh, she's off having fun, and I'm here also having fun. It's just a different good kind of fun. So anyway, <laughs> but apart from that, week's been pretty good. How about you, man? It's been uh, it's been busy week for us. Seems like uh, the month of June has picked up at work and busy times, and and trying to trying to stay ahead of the game a little bit, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's just kind of trying to trying to roll with. The way everything is, the new normal, I guess, something like that, trying to adjust to the new normal. Yeah. Yeah. The new normal for us is, I mean, we are almost back to what it was like before the quarantine whole Mm -hmm. thing started. Um, There's just some things that are still weird, like certain restaurants you still can't go in or uh, you see people wearing masks still everywhere which it seems to come in waves. You go for a while without seeing anyone wearing a mask, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, I missed the memo that I'm supposed to wear a mask now. So, Oops. Yeah. but uh, my, my my favorite thing is when you walk into a restaurant that's half full, and they're like, it's a 30-minute wait, and you're like, what? And then you remember, Where are all the people? And then you remember, oh, yeah. <laughs> so, but anyway, so tonight, what do we have? What are we reviewing beer-wise tonight? What are we doing? So tonight we have the Lagunitas Little Something. That's what I'm gonna call it. The Little Something. It's a little something something male. A little something something male. This is uh from Lagunitas Brewing Company in where did we say this was? Somewhere in California. I don't think it was on the can, I think it was on the website. Um it pet, was on pet, the website. Petaluma. There you go. Petaluma, place. Petaluma California. Um, so here's something funny that I just saw. I didn't realize that this was an IPA. Yeah, I was about to say this is an IPA, so you're not gonna like a, it. A way smooth and silky IPA is what the can says. We'll be the judge of that. I saw I saw ale on the can on the box, and so I just bought it because it said ale on the box and not IPA. I mean, IPA is an ale, so it's true. It is. It is a little misleading because you turn the can and it's got it in like a subtitle almost kind of thing. Yeah. Um, the can is really simple. The The website shows pictures of the bottles, which look vastly different, obviously, because, I mean, it's a bottle first off, but the label's <laughs> not the same. Um, or so it might be the same, like, picture of the girl on there is just in black and white instead of color. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's similar enough. Um, it's really a cool looking can. It's white. Um, just kind of plain. It's just a very simple can, unsuspecting at all. Dude, look at the cap. It's got it's red. It's, it's it's red, but it's got their like the hole in it. It's got like that. That's their logo. That little Mine like. Doesn't. Does yours look? Are you sure? I'm pretty sure. Mine doesn't. Yours is a little like. 
negative Ghost Rider. Wow. Okay. Yours is different. Cool. Here, mine is just a regular. Oh, boo. (laughs) That's lame. So anyway, sad day for me. Anyway, depending on where you get yours, I guess the cat's got (laughs) Lagunitas like uh, dog. Or it's it... some kind of logo. I'm not sure what it is. It's not a dog. It's, it, it looks like oh, a paintball okay. shot. Is what it looks like. Oh, okay. So I don't know what that if that means That's anything. Uh, so online at Lagunitas.com, um, this has got an ABV of 7.5 percent and 64.2 IBUs. It's very specific. And the OG, which I'm not sure what that means. I think that means original gravity. Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, is 1.07. So. We just like to say the OG. Yeah, yes. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to see if there's any other useful information here, but I don't think that is. There is. Um, but I'm, I mean, I'm ready. So, uh, I forgot to disclose uh, earlier. Uh, we're going on vacation here in a few weeks. And so, my wife and I decided this week that we wanted to try to watch what we're eating so that we can uh, gorge ourselves on our vacation. On vacations. <laughs> um, so part of that has been um, cutting out almost all alcohol, and up to this point, that has been all alcohol for me. So this will be the first alcohol I've had in five days. Four days. And and if Patrick gets a little, uh, little loose, we'll know what's happening. That'll be why. So. <laughs> but I'm ready to crack this thing open. I am going to uh, use... Ooh, let's pre-rate it. We gotta pre-rate it, sure. Um, just for a heads up, I, I'm gonna use my physics thing uh, because I want to. I just feel like it. So do it. Um, but anyway, let's pre-rate it. So it's an IPA. IBUs are high. I'm gonna pre-rate it for you. How about that? Do it. You pre-rate it for me, and I'll pre-rate okay. it for you. We're gonna keep changing this up until <laughs> we get bored of doing this. So um, <laughs> I, Patrick, am going to pre-rate this little something something male. Uh, for Rick, I'm going to say he's going to give it three Luthers. And that yep. might be high. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just going to go out on a limb there and say that, that might be a little high for him. So, but I'm, I'm, I've got faith in him. He's coming around a little bit on the IPA. So I'm going to say he's going to give it a three out of five Luthers. Hey, all right. You're, you're close. That's probably, that's actually what I would have pre-rated. I would have said three. Uh, so for, for Patrick, I'm, knowing that he likes bitters and knowing that he likes IPAs more than I do, I'm going to pre-rate Patrick at four Luthers. Yep, that's what I would also have rated it at. So <laughs> I guess we know each other pretty well. So That we do. Well, let's crack open this little something and, uh, and see what we're going to give it. Here we go. One, two, three. Crack. Flesh and blood, right? Uh, I don't know what it is, man. Every IPA to me smells like flesh and blood. Is flesh and blood an IPA? Um, was it, I don't. Was it just a? I don't remember. I think technically it might be an IPA. That was so long ago. It was. That was. Uh, oh man, this thing may not. Well, hang on. Yeah, I can make it, it not fit. Well, I mean, I've got it in my uh, Yeti thing to keep it cold. So, oh, uh, it doesn't fit in the. The home of the physics. It's not working, dude. Hang on. Stand by. That is a, that is a sad day. Sorry. Um, entertain yourself. <laughs> so, while uh, while Patrick is over there getting his beer out of his can... Playing mad scientist. Uh, <laughs> playing, playing mad scientist. I'm going to look up the Flesh and Blood because I don't remember... It might have been an IPA. I think about it. Flesh and Blood... Who, who made the Flesh and Blood? That was a Dogfish Head. Dogfish Head, yep. Flesh and Blood IPA, yep. Sure enough, there it is right there. Well, there you go. So, the more I, you gave, know. I gave the Flesh and Blood, I think, three and a half Luthers. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we both gave it so, three and a half, actually. I don't remember what I gave it, but... So, that will... Uh, boom. Sucker. There it goes. There it goes. So, I'm... <laughs> And, and the IPAs have continued to grow on me a little bit, but uh, but still not to the point where... Have you poured yours up already? Them. Oh, yeah. I'm okay. sitting here. Okay. I didn't know. So, um, mine's pretty pale looking. 
I thought, it's definitely an IPA as far as the uh, India Pale Ale is concerned. It smells like an IPA. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, it it smells like literally every IPA I've ever had. <laughs> so, not saying it's a bad thing. It might be really great. Um, the can does say that it's way smooth and silky. So. That's that's what I'm interested in because how do you make typically an IPA is not yeah how do you make something that's so bitter bitter smooth but we, I mean we've been saying that about a lot of them that have high IBUs anyway but that is true they haven't I don't think we've this might be like the second highest IBU rated beer we've had that's I, I, that's what I was thinking that's what is scaring me. Is that this is in the sixties? The last time we even had one like in the fifties, I was like, eh, I don't like that. Yeah. So, <laughs> but enough talking. Let's uh, let's turn it up let's and see what happens. Here we go. Bottoms up, Lagunitas. Man, do I miss beer? <laughs> That's pretty good, dude. It's it is. It is smoother than I thought it was going to be. It is not 60-whatever IBUs. I don't think it is either. Like, I feel like this should be in the 45 range, maybe. I, I'm, I'm thinking, like, no more than 30, honestly. Eh, of course, I did put, yeah. I did put it through a, a different thing, so... That's true. It might have opened up a little bit. It's got... It's kind of... I mean, it's definitely got some bitterness to it. It's got that IPA feel. It doesn't have the citrusy that, like, the flesh and blood had. Mm-hmm. But uh, let's see here. The special ale kind of got its own thing with a lot of wheat, rich in hops, and it finishes dry. Yep. Mm -hmm. So I can definitely uh, I confirm all of that. I agree with all of that. Yep. We've matched it with some amusement beer mumblers argue over how, how to classify it. So they're, they're even saying that this may not be uh, like a traditional IPA. We're in the camp with uh, Jaffe Ryder. I don't know who... When he declares to Ray Smith that comparisons are odious, whatever, give us a call. Laguntas, we might give you a call because you put your phone number on the can. <laughs> so, you want to go first or you want me to go first? Um, I can go first. I don't mind. Um, this one's, I'm actually really enjoying it. I don't think it has, it's not completely due to the fact that I haven't had any alcohol in four days. Um, mm -hmm. It is really, really good. I'm curious as to how it would taste if I hadn't put it through my physics dispenser thing yet. Uh, or through the physics dispenser. But all I have to say is I take another sip. I think I'm actually going to give this four Luthers. Boom. Nailed it. Um, it's really good. It's surprise It is surprisingly smooth. It's not as bitter as their website as, or, uh, it's believe. not as much. It's not as bitter as their IBU rating would have led would lead you yeah. to believe. So, I'm I'm pleasantly surprised and not sad at, at all about having this one. So I'm going to give it four Luthers out of five, and uh, that's a that's a good showing for this is their first Lagunitas brewing beer we've had. So for yep. me, I mean. I give almost everything for those. So, <laughs> what does that say about me? Anyway, Patrick Patrick stays in his lane, uh, declaring his love for beer. Yes. So, <laughs> um, so I I may surprise you on this one. Um, I'm actually gonna I'm just gonna come out and say it. I'm gonna come in at three and a half. Okay. Okay. Um, mostly because I was expecting it to be a lot more bitter than it is. Yeah. Um, it's not terribly bitter to me, even though I was, I saw the IBU rating of 60, was it like 62 and a half or something? Yeah, 64 and 62, a half. it's in the sixties. In the sixties. Um, I was expecting like almost like a tart flavor. Yeah. That, that would make my mouth pucker like bitter. And it's not, I mean, it is, it is smooth. Mm -hmm. I don't know that I would classify it as silky. Um, but. If if uh, I guess Lagunitas they they define their own silkiness then then maybe it is silky maybe yeah. it's silky compared to other Lagunitas beers <laughs> maybe so maybe we need to try um, they do have a, a um like they have an actual IPA like a Lagunitas IPA so I'm curious how that mm -hmm. would compare to this one yeah the the actual IPA this one 
they they talk about you know this one not really fitting into a, a standard kind of definition or whatever but uh but it is it is not my favorite flavor but it's good yeah um it's not as bitter as i thought mm-hmm. and so this i mean this is uh to me this would be a good like i'm really hot and i want to drink a beer, mm-hmm. beer yeah and you know thinking back this is very very is to me it's almost identical to the flesh and blood minus the citrus Citrus, yep. So yep, that's exactly what I was gonna say. And so you giving it three and a half actually makes sense since that's what you gave flesh and blood. And I'm flesh looking and back and I also gave flesh and blood three and a half. So um <laughs> yeah, we uh like Anitas, that's really good for an IPA, especially considering one of us, Rick, doesn't really like IPAs <laughs> at all. So um not a huge IPA fan yet. You're com- you are com- coming around. You are coming around. And I will say that um since we started doing this, um, my appreciation for IPAs has grown. I wouldn't say a love yeah. for them because they're not like my first choice ever. But if if I'm looking like... if I'm looking for something different than what I normally have, an IPA is a good option for me. Yeah. I feel like IPAs are kind of like the redheaded stepchildren of the beer industry. Either people love them or they hate them. Like I, I haven't met many people who are like, uh, IPAs are okay. I, you know, I can drink them. They're they're good, but you know, people are either most of the time people are like, all I drink is IPAs. Don't serve me anything else, or I'm going to take an IPA and I'm going to pour it down the trash because that's where it belongs. Right. Like that's the two responses I get. There's not much most of the there's time. There's not much middle ground there at all. Not really. No. So. So. But uh, IPAs are growing on me a little bit. Um, I'm not as as afraid to to order them if I see them in public or anything like that. Oh, here's a here's a fun little tidbit uh, for our listeners. So a couple of weeks ago, I was traveling in the Tennessee area and stumbled in a restaurant and saw that they had my favorite uh, Tennessee beer on tap, the tiny bomb that blew up in my lap. Uh, on tap, and I had one, and it was really good. I, it was actually better out of on tap than it was out of the can. Did they so. pour it on you to start, though? No, they didn't. That's no. that was what the best part was. Is I got a full glass, and it did not spill on me, and I did not have to clean up my lap afterwards. So, Wiseacre, uh, Tiny Bomb, you you uh, have redeemed yourself there because I do enjoy the Tiny Bomb, but I got a six pack that exploded on me. Basically, all of them exploded on me. So. Sounds Maybe like you should send like, me some more. Sounds like those were dropped or something. It had to be. So, but anyway, Lagunitas. Back to Lagunitas. Great, there we are. Good job. Um, and we'll, this is enjoyable. Mm-hmm. And we'll uh, be on the lookout for more beers from Lagunitas for future episodes. So, it could happen. Yes, it could. So, now we're going to move on into Packer. And we are going to talk about the resurrection and the judgments. Buckle up. Buttercup. And we are back. We're here to talk. We got two more weeks left in concise theology. We're going to talk about the resurrection this week. We're going to talk about the judgment this week, and then next week it's going to be heaven and hell, and uh, and that will bring an end to our concise theology. And uh, we were actually we were just discussing kind of our timeline and realized that when we finish concise theology the following week will actually be like the one year anniversary of the beers and bible podcast yeah so we spent a whole year in a book yeah we remember we did take a month off when in january so we did but um yeah it's been it's been a good uh good time in in packers concise theology um i have learned a lot about jesus and myself and the church and um I feel like my views on some things have shifted or changed, and um, 
it's going to be one of those like bittersweet moments where it's like this thing is so long that we've been we've been in it for so long i'm ready to do something else but we couldn't like abandon ship halfway yeah. through i would <laughs> just just so you know i was ready to say let's just do something else like after part two <laughs> part two was pretty long yeah so um so but you know it's it's been good and if you've been with us from the beginning we thank you for listening to us talk about things we don't really understand and um we look forward to whatever is next for us so something new coming down the pipe yeah. we've been talking with our friend benny hen and, and we may have something coming mm-hmm. down the pipe yeah, benny hen here before benny long. hen has uh given us his uh input we might need to have him back on maybe just to we probably will have benny hen on here before long so if you're listening benny get ready get ready because it's coming no, well, by the time this but, uh, comes out, he may have already we may have already recorded <laughs> with him. So it's entirely possible. So anyway, so let's talk about the resurrection tonight. Yeah, let's do it. Let's. Uh, so Packer draws uh, so, for the resurrection, so, so, and he says the dead in Christ will rise. Yeah. So let, let's let's make this this um this distinction. It's not like the resurrection of Jesus. It's the resurre- yeah. It's the resurrection of the saints. Yes. The general resurrection is general is what resurrection. Packer's calling it. So yes. Yeah. I just wanted. I just wanted to make sure we were clear on that. Clear, because Clarify. that that would not fit the timeline of what Packer's been discussing. To to backtrack all the way back to <laughs> all the, way back. the gospel. True. So anyway, we've already finished. We've already finished that section. Yeah. So, uh, but general, so tonight we're talking about the resurrection of basically all of humanity. Yes. Either good or bad. Yeah. And and when when I, as I was reading this, I hadn't ever really thought about that how it wasn't just the dead in christ would rise but it's that all the dead will rise yes part of me is I'm, part of me is terrified to be here for that but part of me is kind of like that would be really cool yeah for like five seconds and then you realize yeah. oh yeah this is what's going on so i'm gonna i'm just gonna put um a, a very very popular song on blast here for a second uh, but the song Midnight Cry is slightly theologically inaccurate here um, because it has the line, and the dead in Christ shall rise to meet him in the air. Now, that statement is not tr- is not false. That is going to happen, but that's only half of the story when you talk about the resurrection. Right. And and so you know, it's interesting it's, how it's, it's interesting how like believers. I'm assuming that's a like a Christian song. I don't know. I don't know it, but just based on the one line you gave me, um, it, it's just it's you. You've heard the song. I guarantee you've heard the song if you've been in a Baptist church for more than one year. <laughs> we'll I have to test that theory later. So, um, <laughs> but I think it's interesting how believers either neglect i don't think it's on purpose but just like kind of forget that it's not just believers that are gonna rise yes. or maybe they weren't just never were taught that like i i was not aware that that would that's going to be the case yes so uh in this section packer is really tipping his hand to uh what his eschatological view is and when we say so eschatology is the study of final things the end times uh, and your eschatological view is the way that you think it's going to happen. The, you know, okay. uh, there's there's about a thousand different views, and if if you ask ten people what their views are, you're going to get twelve different answers. Um, so as I I see your puzzled look on there, but it's it's it'll happen. Uh, trust me. I wrote my, I wrote a paper on this one time. <laughs> Did you really ask ten people and got twelve different answers? Uh, no, but there's just so many views that sometimes somebody will borrow two two different answers to make one coherent statement, and they don't realize that that's what they're doing. Gotcha. So, okay. When we when we talk about eschatology, we're talking about the study of the, the end times, the final days, of the end of time, the end of what we know is time, or the way we understand time right now. The, the um, completion of history. Yes, and so. Where Packer kind of tips his hand is that he only talks about one resurrection, the general resurrection. And so there is a there is a position, uh, an eschatological position called dispensationalism. And it's more than just eschatology, but it really kind of focuses on eschatology. 
uh, where you have this, you have a rapture first, and that's when the church goes away, and then you have the seven years of of uh, tribulation, and then the second coming of Christ happens, and that ushers in the millennium, and then Christ reigns for a thousand years physically on the earth, and then at the end of that thousand-year reign, there is the judgment. And the the way that Packer kind of tips his hand is he doesn't really talk about any of that because in in some viewpoint, you have to say that, you know, if there's a rapture and, and the church is pulled off of the earth for there to be a great time of tribulation, that is a form of judgment. That is a form of, and we're, and this is what we're going to get to in a minute, uh, that is a form of God saying, no, you're not, you're not going to be caught up in the air with me. You're not going to be pulled up in the air while this tribulation pulls out. So it's kind of a, a relief of judgment. Mm-hmm. Um, but but when we talk about the resurrection, if you only talk about one resurrection, which is everyone is raised at one time, you typically hold to an amillennial view, which, which means that there's no literal thousand-year reign of Christ and that basically all of the events of the earth just kind of continue to happen, continue to happen. And then at some point in history, Christ comes back, everyone is raised and the judgment happens. So it, it, with this all millennial view, it's a, there's, there's not a, there's not a necessary sequence of events that occurs in, exactly. in order for history to end, which is, exactly. which as a history major is a weird thing to think about, but it's, it is, it is. And, and so, but what you end up with is, is there's this, this metaphorical teaching throughout that says, you know, you're going to look for certain things. You're going to see certain things and all of these things are going to precipitate the second coming of Christ, right? which is why we've ended up with books like, you know, 88 reasons Jesus is going to return in 88. Um, Yes, that is a legitimate book, and it was written in like 1987. I was about to say, was it written like right before? <laughs> I, I feel like a lot of those things are like, just like, not necessarily money grabs, but money grabs. Yes, a lot of them are, and and they're built on this this kind of ideology that dispensationalism creates. It's almost it's um, almost like a it feels like a fear tactic. It re- I mean, it is, and I mean, you think about the the uh, the who were the, the was it the Jones cult where they all went to the hill and drank the Kool Aid to commit suicide or whatever. In South was. America, I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that I mean, that's kind of the the mindset that you get when you think, oh, the world is coming to an end. Uh, you know, uh, we we've got to, might as well kill ourselves now because the world's coming to an end. You know, and. That, and it leads to almost, to me at least, to like a state of hopelessness, mm-hmm. um, which if you read scripture, that that is the opposite of what Bible-believing people, Bible-believing Christians are supposed to have. We yeah. are never supposed to be hopeless. Yeah. If, if, you, um, if you believe that the world, if you believed you knew when the, when the world was going to end, I could understand that creating a sense of hopelessness. Yeah. And just not like wanting to survive or wanting to be here to see the end. Exactly. Um, I, th- I think about like, not like, you know, like, whatever. I th- <laughs> sorry. I think about like on nine eleven, people, uh-huh. the people who jumped from the towers, they yeah. knew there was a ninety nine point infinite ninety nines percent chance yeah. that they were going to die, and they didn't want to die when the towers fell. Or they didn't want to die exactly. in a fire or whatever. They they so when you're that hopeless, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Um and I mean you look at the repetition of history, it's like we we have this huge evil event happening and, and you know, let's start like the twelve hundreds, eleven hundreds, you got the crusades. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody was like, Oh, the crusades is the worst thing that could ever happen. Well, and then a few years later, you have this event, and then a few years later, you have that event, and then all of a sudden, you have the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. You know, you get to, to modern times, you have the, the Mao Zedong in, in uh, China, you have the Holocaust, you have Stalin, you have all of these events where genocide is happening, mm-hmm. and you think to yourself, it can't get any worse than that, and then something happens, and it gets worse than that. Right. You know, and, and so it's just this continual 
we think the world is going to end. And that's why I think that's why to me, the amillennial view is so appealing because it says the amillennial view says, okay, all of those events are not isolated. They tell us a story of, of, mm-hmm. of history and, and what is, what is coming and what's coming is an ultimate judgment where these ultimate, these evil acts that we have seen portrayed in the world are going to be held account for. Right. And, and so, you know, and justice is going to be uh, deemed out and it's going to be deemed out by God. And, and it's not our position. It's not our place as humans to question that justice, but it is our place to fight for justice in the world today. Now, there's some people who are going to say that makes me woke and that makes me a liberal and that makes me this and that makes me that. But the reality is Micah 6, 8 tells us that's what we're supposed to fight for. Right. And so, and the reason that we fight for that is because the general revelation of Christ. Yeah. I'm sorry, not uh, the general resurrection of Christ. Um, and, and so if we truly believe that all of the, all of the dead are going to rise and they're all going to be, held accountable for, which we're going to talk about in judgment here in just a second. But, you know, let's focus on just the resurrection for a minute. You know, where do we find in Scripture that that the human race is going to be raised? Where do we see that in Scripture? I look to John chapter 5. That's mm-hmm. where that's where Packer points out. Um, and, he, and he just says, uh, all those who are in the tombs will hear his voice. That's, that's t- the end of 28. And it says, and they will come out. And those who have done the good will have resurrection to the life, and those who have done evil will have resurrection to the judgment. And so you have this this idea that it's not just a specific set of people who are being resurrected at this point, but it's everyone, good and bad. And they're all coming out, and they're all being brought forward. Mm, mm-hmm. Does that yeah, make sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah. I was just going to uh, add, you know, to, to have the, like, all-millennial view is to allow you it like it, it allows you to live in freedom and it lives to live with hope. If you yes. have this idea that like these events are happening and it's showing like a definite end of the world, like that is a very bleak view of the world, a very bleak mm-hmm. view of events. And to live with an all millennial view of history and an all millennial view of what's going on around us allows you to say, you know what? When it happens, it happens. And I'm going to live my life for Jesus un- until it happens. And I'm going to do everything exactly. I can to, to glorify Jesus with my whole life until until he returns and calls calls us all back or calls us, the, those who have followed him, to come with him. Yeah. So yeah. it's, and, and what's what's funny is all millennials typically get, get, uh, labeled as pessimists because when something bad happens the amillennialists are are over here going well we kind of expected that you know do we like it no we don't like it Mm -hmm. but you know we're not really over here going well you know let's let's fight the system let's change everything we just we kind of let events play out as they want as they are and realize that those are being done the events that are playing out are being done by the hand of God. Right. And like we, you know, like we talked about, it's, I mean, it's been a very long time from the beginning of Packer, but um, <laughs> everything that happens up until the point of it happening can change. But once the event has happened, it's the will of God to allow that event exactly. to happen. So if it's a terrible thing like the Holocaust or 9-11 or, um, I mean, name any, any terrible thing that has ever happened. Um, it's the will of God of that event to happen once it's happened. Yes. And you can't, I don't, I don't think we can sit here and try to plug events into scripture when, if it's clear that scripture isn't saying that certain events have to happen before Jesus can come back. Exactly. And, and the, well, in, in the, I guess the bigger picture, when you think about the bigger picture, it's okay to, to say that the Holocaust is a terrible event, but at the same time, God allowed that event to happen. Right. Because if all of the world was nothing but good events happening and, and everything was hunky-dory and everything was perfect all the time, there would be no justice in the world. Right. 
because everything would be perfect. So there's no need for justice. Well, then he's not a God of justice at that point. Right. Because if everything stays perfect, then, then there's no need for justice. So, you, you know, the, as, as bad as evil is, there is this, this argument that says, you know, bad things need to happen in order to exemplify the justice of God. Yeah. Without, without bad things happening, how can we know what good things are happening? Exactly. Exactly. And, and I, you know, I go back to, to the beginnings of the foundations of the church, you know, a lot of times it wasn't like, uh, church fathers and, and people who were Paul's and all them were writing scripture. were like, you know, this is what the church should believe. This is exactly how they should believe. What ended up happening was what we call orthodoxy or, or right belief ended up being a, an answer to heresy or heterodoxy. Mm Mm-hmm. And so I'll give you the, the biggest classic example is, is the guy Arius. So Arius comes out and he's like, yeah, Jesus wasn't really God. And the whole church is like, whoa, 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 time out. Let's pause. Let's have a, let's have a gathering here. Let's all talk this over. Let's all meet in Nicaea. Let's go meet in 325. We're going to meet. We're going to talk this through. And then we're going to put out a statement. And, and you have this, this development of orthodoxy, which is, technically a response to to heterodoxy Mm -hmm. and so somebody says oh jesus isn't uh divine well just no we need to read scripture this is what scripture says jesus is divine well jesus isn't man he's just this third type of person no 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 that's not right this is what scripture says and so you you end up within this this ends up building all the way to the reformation where you have the call of the reformation is sola scriptura a scripture is our authority. Mm-hmm. Scripture is how we base everything. Scripture is is how we interpret everything. And if it, if we deviate from what scripture says, then we have a problem. Right. And so, all of this, you know, this is where the way it builds up. And so, so how does this tie to the resurrection? Well, this ties to the resurrection because scripture teaches us that all people are going to be raised from the dead. All people are going to be re embodied. Now. This is going to bring up a really good question that that a lot of I've heard some Christians talk about. Should Christians cremate their bodies? If the so I'm assuming you want me to answer this. Sure. <laughs> I mean, if we believe that God is the God of all power and all ability and he is capable of doing anything at all then why would we limit like if if we if I decide to tell my wife when I die I want you to cremate my body I don't think I would but it would be there there are, there are pros and cons to to both sides but anyway yes. but if I tell my wife cremate my body and then Jesus comes back it would be foolish to think that he couldn't put my body back together exactly so at the end of the day, I think the argument about cre- cremation becomes a moot point. It, it and to, I'm I'm with you there. It kind of it does because because um, if you say that like oh you as a believer should you know believers shouldn't cremate their loved ones because then when the resurrection happens they their body they won't get their bodies you know yeah. they won't have their bodies that makes no sense at all if we believe that God is as powerful as we say He yeah. is. Well, and and I'll I'll just say you know in defense I'll, I'm gonna play devil's advocate here. That's my role. Um, <laughs> <laughs> typically, <laughs> it gets to, gets to be my role this time. Um, so what what somebody would point to as a as a you should not cremate. They would point to the story of Ezekiel when Ezekiel tells the bones basically to come back to life. Their argument is that there's bones there, and if you cremate yourself. You don't have any bones anymore. So bones are the only part of the human body that don't, um, that don't that won't deteriorate. They don't decompose right. over time. You know, they do a little bit, but it's it's much 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 longer for, right. for bones. And in fact, if you study Old Testament burial practices, um, what they would do is they would put them in a in a tomb, an above ground tomb for a little while, and let basically let all of their flesh decompose. And then they would take, they would go back after a year, I don't know how long it was, they, after a certain amount of time, they would collect the bones and put them in what's called an ossuary. 
and the ossuaries were designed to be as long as the is it the femur? It's the longest bone in the body. It's your leg bone, your top leg bone mm-hmm. is the longest bone in your body. And so they would design these things to be long enough to hold that, and then they would basically just shove all the rest of your bones in there. Um, and so this like this you know thirty six inch by ten inch box. They go into the tomb. They take all your bones and they put them in this box. They seal the box and then they can fit, you know, 10, 20, 30 boxes in the space where one tomb would be. So that's how they would basically, uh, what we would consider graveyards would just be this collection of ossuary boxes, which is nothing but people's bones set up in a box. I'm pretty sure you're describing modern day serial killers, (laughs) but I see your point, um, my only counter argument to that is that Ezekiel was not Jesus. So this is true. This is true. And, and so, so when, um, Eze- when Ezekiel says, you know, uh, dry bones come, you know, come forth or whatever, um, he's speaking with the authority of God. But when Jesus says. When Jesus everyone come back whenever, to whenever, life. When Jesus says everyone come back to life, I don't think it's unreasonable to think that cremated bodies will come back to life. It's it's entirely possible, and and I don't I don't so, think it's entirely possible. I think it's going to happen. Now I'm going to play the opposite of devil's advocate. So you have the story in Ezekiel, and what I would point to is the martyrs of the first, second, and third century. Oh yeah, the ones that were the majority burned. of them were burned. And so, again, and, and, you know, can you make the differentiation that, oh, well, they were burned for their faith, and you're being burned to save space on the earth? Okay, you know, whatever. That's, that's, I understand that I, argument, but I, I, I feel like I, it's a lame, I, it's a lame I argument. I think that's really dumb, because, I mean, burned is burned, and yeah. God isn't going to, I don't think God's going to be like, oh, you were, you chose to be burned, so we're not going to. If you We're body. not going to resurrect you. You have to float in a bubble in a, of ashes or something. Let's go back to the last week's discussion on eternal security. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and perseverance. Um, yeah, again, again, and I, I think that because honestly, there are a lot of families who just say, you know what, we can't afford the expenses of a funeral and buying a plot and buying a headstone. Our family cannot afford that, so we're going to cremate. We're going to have it put in an urn. You know. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, a lot of times. You know, there are arguments for each. I think there, you know, if your family can afford it, if there's a way for you, I mean, if you've set aside money over time, if you're preparing for that, then good for you. Good for you. And having a headstone, like having a place where your family can go and visit your body, because that's not where you are, um, to go to visit your body, that's, that can be reassuring. Um, But at the same time, like you said, uh, cremation is much cheaper. Um, you, I mean, it would be, I think personally, it would be very creepy to have the ashes of a loved one on my mantle. <laughs> um, I, you know, you see that like in TV and movies all the time where they have that. I don't uh, know if I would be able to, I don't know if I'd be able to live in my house if I knew the, the ashes of a loved one were in my house. Um, but that, I mean, that allows you to like, you can take them and scatter them at a place where the per that the person loved or something that was yeah. meaningful to you and that person. So that, that might allow for a, a more meaningful closure versus a traditional burial. So yeah. I see the benefits in the like arguments for both and against both. Um, and again, like pretty much everything that's not black and white in scripture, that's going to come down to what you personally believe. Exactly. And, and this is, again, this is another one of those areas that, that really require us to have Christian liberty. Yeah. Um, it, they require us to be gracious with each other and disagree with each other mm-hmm. because it's not laid out in Scripture. It, th- there is no thou shalt not cremate yourselves. Right. Um, and so it's just not a point worth condemning somebody over. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, at that time, cremation wasn't a practice. Yeah. Like, like purposeful cremation wasn't a widespread practice to save space on the earth or whatever because exactly. there was well, there because there wasn't seven billion or eight billion people on the earth yeah and well but you could say that they practiced a form of it by basically letting the body decompose in a in a in a room and then taking the bones and putting them in a small box i mean that that's a 
that's essentially what cremation is, is you're, you're breaking yourself down to a small section. Okay. You're, and, you're making yourself much more, much more small than you exactly. actually were for, yeah. uh, and they just whatever. let, they just let earth, they just let, you know, nature take its course. Body decomposes. You go get the bones. You're done. You put it in a box. You stick it over here. I would not want to be the guy having to go get bones. <laughs> so when we talk about our resurrection, let's, let's go back to the resurrection now. When we talk about our resurrected bodies, the bodies that we get are going to be perfect. Mm-hmm. Okay. They're going to be pre-fall. They're going to be uh, not stained, not marred by sin. They're going to be perfect. Packer says perfect instruments of our holy self-expression throughout eternity is, is the way Packer puts mm-hmm. it. We've talked about this a hundred times already. What is that final step that, that Packer's really pointing at right there with that statement? So, I mean, he's really pointing to the the completion of our glorification, the the process through which, you know, we, we talked about your salvation, your sanctification, and your sanctification being a process until your glorification. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, Packer says that glorification is a work of transforming power whereby God finally turns us into sinless creatures with deathless bodies. Um, yes. These bodies we have now are going to decompose, and they're going to, over time, deteriorate, and one day we will die, and we will we'll no longer physically be on this earth mm-hmm. until, well, no, no until, ever. Um, until, until you say the new heavens and the yeah, new earth. Yeah, so, yes. But, um, Which is eternity. Yeah. So, but, you know, glorification is that final step, like, once you, that completes our sanctification. Yes. So. Yes. Well, so, you look at Romans chapter 8, and, we, and we've dealt a little bit with Romans 8, um, 29 and 30. Um, but picking it up in 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And so you have this this past tense aspect of glorification, but you also have this this future tense mm-hmm. aspect of glorification. And so glorification for Paul was something that, that had happened in in. in people's lives that he knew right you know there were saints who had died who had gone on and they they had been glorified anybody that you know who has died who placed their faith and trust and in in christ and they live their life accordingly that person has been glorified they've seen glorification mm-hmm. at that point um we didn't spend a whole lot of time talking about soul sleep and intermediate state and all that kind of stuff because it, it's not we're it's way too much discussion to have, but you know, once you've seen the other side of death, you've seen glorification. And so what's going to happen at the resurrection is all of the rest of eternity is going to, is going to be reunited with these people who have seen glorification spiritually speaking in heaven. Mm -hmm. They're going to, they're going to see actual resurrection and full glorification. And that's why, that's why I say it's this, this past event, but it's also this future event at right. the same time, um, because they have been glorified, but in some aspects they have not been glorified fully gotcha. because they don't have their physical bodies back. Right, because that hasn't happened because that won't happen until Jesus returns for the saints. Returns exactly, gotcha. and so so you have this idea, and 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 this is again it builds on this uh, what what some people call the already not yet mm-hmm. tension of scripture. Uh, things that have happened but have not happened all at the same time. Right. Um, or they've happened in partial, but they haven't happened in full. Um, right. And so so you see this where where this, this past tense uh, idea is, is there, but it's also going to be a future thing for, for people who are behind us. And then when it all consummates uh, at the end of time, at the second coming of Christ, uh, this, this resurrection is going to happen, and everyone will be reunited with their mm-hmm. physical bodies. We will have resemblance of physical bodies. You know, uh, we always talk about, you know, when I get to heaven, I'm going to go find this person and that person. And, and do I think that's a possibility? Absolutely. I, I think it is a possibility, right. 
but I think it's going to be different than what we think it is. Right. Yeah. You know, um, it's not going to be, man, I'm going to go find my dad and we're going to talk about fishing again. No, it's, man, I'm going to see my dad in his glorified body mm-hmm. and, and that's going to cause me to worship my creator. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'm going to recognize it. Yeah. And, and just to, just to talk, just to kind of tie a bow on that, I guess when we talk about the already, not yet, it shows that like the difference between the way we as humanity looks at the timeline of history versus how God looks at the timeline. Because yeah. God is eternal. God is present in, he, he sees the entire story all together. We talked about his omnipotence um, mm-hmm. and how he is all knowing and, and knows how everything works together. He also knows how everything is going to end. Um, and he sees it all at once. Yes. Um, and so when you talk about like the, we're justified and we're also glorified. While the verbs are in the past tense, the while just we were justified in the. Gosh, I'm going to screw this up. <laughs> we are justified in the past tense. We are also glorified in the past tense, but also in the future tense. Yes, we are justified, but we haven't realized the fullness of that justification. Right, and so our justification is assured. Our justification is going to happen. Mm-hmm. It's, it's written down that it will happen, right. but we haven't seen it. That's that. That's the already, but not yet. Uh, and the same thing with glorification. We have been glorified. We will see our glorified bodies, just not yet. Right. And and where we're going to see those is at the resurrection, and then moving into this at the judgment seat when we when we see the judgment. So. When all of the people are called back to life, when, when all of the human race is called back to life, we will see, we will stand before Christ and we will be judged. Mm-hmm. And, and this is where, this is where it gets into a lot of the, a lot of people talk about, um, we're going to be judged by our works and we have to do works to earn our salvation. I'm going to state this emphatically. There is nothing you can do to earn your salvation. Yeah. Your salvation has to come on the merits of Christ and Christ alone. Yeah. If, if, but, if your merits are on anything other than Jesus, then... Yes. But you will stand before Christ, and you will give account for the things that happened in your life. And and that's when we talk about all of the secret sins are going to be exposed, mm-hmm. you know, and... and, and uh, you know, and, and I'm going to... I'm, I'm going to go a little bit political here, but... What, what I'm, the point I'm trying to make is that it doesn't matter what we call ourselves here. It's going to be exposed. It's mm-hmm. going to, our, our true nature is going to come out. There's a, there's a statement that's used in theological circles where we say ontology trumps autonomy. I can justify things to myself a lot. I can justify my actions. I can justify that I'm right and I'm this. But what's going to happen is when I stand before Christ and be and I'm judged in perfection in accordance to the standard of Christ, all of those things that I justified to myself are going to fall away. Mm-hmm. And the real me is going to be exposed. Mm-hmm. All of my sin that I've hidden from from all of the people who are around me is going to be laid bare. Um, and, and this is where the beauty of Christ's sacrifice comes in because in spite of my sin, in spite of all of that being laid bare, God's going to look at me and he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant, mm-hmm. because of the work that Christ did, because of the merits of Christ right. that have been applied and have been imputed to me as a believer in the, in, in Christ Jesus. Yeah. I think what's really like reassuring about the judgment, you know, the judgment is going to be a very difficult thing for a lot of people to for. I, not a lot of people, everyone. That's silly to say that some people won't have a hard time in the judgment. But um, what's really reassuring is like once, once we, once our judgment is complete, mm-hmm. it's ju- like there will be no more judgment. Like even after yeah. everything is revealed, like even after all your secret sin is revealed, and even after God is 
called you out on all the stuff that you never you never told anyone on earth yeah even after all that and God says well done good and faithful servant and you move on into move on whatever whatever's next I don't know that so anyway um, (laughs) but like the rest of people in heaven aren't going to be like can you believe what Rick and Patrick did they drank (laughs) beer and talked about it on a podcast I cannot believe that like there won't be any of that yeah, that that because that will be no more. Well, here's the thing, it, and and the the case example is, you know, when when somebody's sins are laid bare, okay, as people right now in our fallen world, we like to look at them and go, "Can you believe what they did?" Mm-hmm. You know, and we'll say things like that until our sins get laid bare, mm-hmm. and then we're in the same camp with them. The reality is that all the people in heaven are going to be in exactly the same camp. Right. I th- I, Everybody's sins are going to be yeah. right there. And I think the the statements will be, instead of like, can you believe what they did, will be, can you believe what Jesus did? Exactly. That's, can you believe what I did and the blood of Christ still covered me? Mm-hmm. Let's, you know, we're here to give glory to the Father. Exactly. That's going to be, that's going to be the, the, the ultimate of glorification is that all of it will turn back to the glory of God. Mm-hmm. The the laying bare of sins, the judgment of sins will be will be turned back to the glory of God, which is why He will be in perfect justice the whole time. And and you know we can come up with all of our reasoning of well I did this and I did that and I did this and if God doesn't let me into heaven for that, then then you know He's not a just God. Well. Who are you to be the definition of justice? Right. Why do you get to decide what the definition of justice is? And that's what's going to be laid bare at the judgment seat is there will be no arguing. Right. It will be here is all here is everything. And you will know it's true and God will know it's true. And everybody that is laid bare before will know it's true. And it will be unadulterated truth. Mm-hmm. And that's why I get back to or I go back to, to what I was I was kind of hinting at a minute ago in our society, we have gotten to the point where we like to mask truth. We like to let people say that they're a certain thing when they're not a certain thing. Right. And, and we've let people redefine things in accordance with what makes them feel good or what they try to define themselves as all of that is what's going to be burned away. And that's why I said the phrase ontology trumps autonomy doesn't matter what we say about ourselves when we stand before our maker all of that all of the the constructs that we've built up around ourselves to try to make ourselves feel good and try to justify our actions and try to reason with what we do all of that is going to be peeled away like an onion and then we're going to be standing there naked before the judgment of god going i don't have an answer Mm -hmm. or we're going to be standing there laying uh peeled away laying naked before god going I plead the blood of Christ, and and it, and the difference is going to be somebody who is in Christ and somebody who is not in Christ, mm-hmm. and and that will be what differentiates the the goats from the sheep, right. you know, and the and the goats will be sent off to to eternal damnation, and the sheep will be welcomed into eternal salvation. So so that's what the judgment ultimately is. Mm-hmm. It is it is a demonstration of vindication of perfect justice on behalf of God in accordance with God's rules, God's laws, and God's standards. Mm-hmm. I, I love this quote that Packer. Um, I love this line that Packer wrote. He says, "For God to judge justly is His glory." Yes, I mean it's God has to judge us. It is. It is in his nature. It is part of who he is to judge to judge all of humanity for every action that has ever happened, and yeah. he will judge justly because to do so brings him glory. Yeah. To to judge us according to our actions. If he if he doesn't judge us according to his action to uh, if he doesn't judge us according to our actions. That reflects on him and his character. Yeah. But because he judges justly, 
that also reflects on his character, but it ultimately brings him glory yes. to judge humanity justly yes. and, to, and to give us what we deserve unless we have been bought with the, bull, with the blood of Jesus. Exactly. And, and what we deserve is exactly what Romans 6 says, for the wages of sin is death. Mm-hmm. That's what we deserve. And then the very next line, but the gift of God is eternal life. Notice it doesn't say for the wages of sin is death, but if you do enough good things, you'll, you'll inherit eternal life. Or it doesn't say if you read the Bible right, or if you do this, or if you go to church every week, there's no amount of other clauses you can put into that sentence. The wages of sin is death, only the gift of God. What is the gift of God? The gift of God is Jesus Christ, who came and and bore on flesh and lived the life that we couldn't live, died the death that we deserve so that he could stand in our place. And if you've ever read the book of Hebrews, you find out that that the work of Christ and, and the mediatory office of Christ, Christ now fulfilling the role and becoming our high priest, does away with all of the sacrificial system of the Old Testament. It, it does away with this need for a constant sacrifice to be done all of the time. First Peter 3.18, for Christ died once for sins. Mm-hmm. You know, once that happened, it was over. It was finished. It was finalized. It was complete. And that's why on the cross, Christ could say the word to telestai. It is finished. Yeah. Because his work was full, it was complete, and it it answered all of the justice that God de- that God desired, that God needed. Uh, he didn't need it, but the, that God had to justify His wrath or to uh, satisfy His wrath. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so when we when we see all of that picture laid before us, and we realize that the, all of that happens at the judgment of Christ, at the judgment, at the final judgment it really puts into perspective the work that Christ has done on your behalf and the, what has been imputed to you. Right. Uh, when it talks about us being co-heirs with Jesus, uh, at the beginning of first Peter, uh, you know, we have, we have an inheritance that is undefiled, uh, that is, you know, never ending the amount that has been given to us. We do not deserve, but God in his justice because we are under Christ has given it to us. Right. So that's a, that's kind of a, a, a building block of where you see the judgment coming from and, and why it's so, and, and again, this is why it's so important for us to understand why the death, burial and resurrection of Christ was so important. Exactly. So that's judgment. That's, I think that's all I have to add on judgment. I don't, I don't know if there's more to add in there or not. No, I think, I mean, I think we pretty clearly explained that one. Um, I don't really have anything to add. There's, there's so much, and like we've talked about before, there is so much more about all of these topics that you could find. Um, yeah. So we would really encourage you to do that, to do some research on your own. Yeah. And don't like, we are reading J.I. Packer, and there have been times where we've been like, eh, we don't know if we agree with what you're saying here, but um, there have been a handful of times like that. So just because Packer says it doesn't mean it's necessarily what we personally believe. And yeah, uh, Rick might believe something different than I do, and that's okay. That's that's part, okay. that's part of the part of the uh, part of the journey for believers is, you know making sure we agree on the major issues, making sure we, um, making sure we are all in, 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 uh, lockstep with, with each other on those, but these secondary and tertiary things, you know, that's where it's a little, liberty. That's, there's a little more liberty there. So, um, do, we would encourage you strongly to do your own research. Um, yes. Don't just take what we're saying and be like, oh, those guys know what they're talking about. So, because it's obvious that we don't. I mean, sometimes we don't. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I don't know if we sound like we do or not. But anyway, so if our listeners wanted to get in touch with us or to follow us, where would they do that? 
So they would do that on Instagram at beers and Bible underscore. They would do that on Twitter at beers and Bible P1. They would do that on the Facebook at searching beers and Bible podcast. And they would do that on the emails by emailing beers and Bible podcast at gmail.com. That was how they would do that. Sweet. And please do do that because we would love to talk and interact with, with our listeners. Um, something tells me we might need to move this section to the beginning of the podcast so people actually <laughs> listen to it. I think people have turned off by now. But anyway, um, but yeah, reach out to us, send us messages, and uh, any questions or suggestions for things that you would like for us to discuss on the podcast. We'd love to get that from you guys. So until next week, enjoy some uh, Lagunitas, Lagunitas, little something. Uh, something else I noticed on the can uh, is they actually tell you how to pronounce it on the can. It actually says Lagunitas. Under oh, one, it does under do that. Huh. Yeah. There we go. I noticed that a little bit ago. Lagunitas. So enjoy some Lagunitas this week. Uh, enjoy something else this week. Let us know what you're enjoying. Uh, hit us up on social media, and we will see you next week. Peace out. If you enjoy what you hear on Beers and Bible, please consider leaving a five-star rating and review on your podcast platform to help us promote this podcast.